Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, it is great to have you here for another edition of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. As you know, Felony Friday is the show that focuses each and every single week on exposing injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Now, this is the 84th episode of Felony Friday, so that means you'll be able to find the show notes for this episode at lionsofliberty.com slash FF84. And it's going to be really important to find those show notes because I'm going to be reviewing a lot of different felonies, some criminal justice items. At the end, we're going to play, is this a crime and should anyone do time. And I'm going to have links to all of those articles on the show notes page. So you definitely want to check that out. Please don't look if you're driving though. Wait until you arrive at your destination. And guys, this is another solo episode of Felony Friday. And I really enjoyed doing last week's show. I got some great feedback and encouragement from you guys. And I I do appreciate that. I don't anticipate doing a solo show every week. I'm not changing the format of the show to be 100% solo shows. I don't envision that. I love doing interviews. I love having guests on to discuss these uh, felony items, to discuss criminal justice news items. But, you know, I kind of wanted to test myself out challenge myself and do a couple of solo shows and and going forward I, I don't know how many I'll do if it'll be if I do a solo show once a month or twice a month I'm not sure what the the cadence of this solo show will be but it, it it'll be sprinkled in throughout but you'll still get your interviews and your other uh great uh discussion your back and forth discussions with the guest here on Felony Friday I want to get right into talking about some felonies before I do that I do want to talk about our sponsor for today's show. And today's show is sponsored by the Remzo Republic podcast. And of course, that is hosted by none other than Remzo Martinez. And Remzo is a great guy. He's been a guest on uh, the Lions of Liberty podcast a couple times. He's been on our segment Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. And Remzo is a good guy. He's a great podcast. I've been on his podcast. Uh, Mark has been on his podcast as well. And he's a really entertaining show. He's one of the hardest working guys I know in podcasting. Every time I, I look what he's doing on Facebook, he has either a, a documentary or, or something else coming out. He's doing a live stream. So you definitely want to check out the Remzo Republic podcast. Now let's get into talking about some of these stories trending in the news. The first item I want to talk about was brought to me by one of our listeners, uh, Betty Davis, and she brought to me a story of a 65-year-old woman who is in prison on a 25-year sentence. She's a nonviolent offender. She's in on a conspiracy charge. Betty Davis brought this story to me, 
and she's been been working with Betty's been working with the Can Do Foundation, and the Can Do Foundation is headed up by a previous guest on this podcast, Amy Pova, and also Malik King works with the Can Do Foundation, and this foundation works to get clemency for nonviolent offenders. And one of these individuals, the individual that Betty brought to me, Nancy E. Furneaux, I believe I'm saying that correct. Like I said, she's serving 25 years for nonviolent charges. Nancy is 65 years old, and in 2003, she was charged with conspiracy to sell meth. And the conspiracy charge comes from she knew some men, and they were busted for running a meth operation. And prosecutors claimed that she had to have known what was going on. She was offered a plea deal that would have got her only eight years in prison, but she knew she was innocent. She knew that she did not... She was not guilty of these charges that were brought against her. She was not involved in a conspiracy. So she went to trial and she lost. And she was uh, sentenced to 25 years in prison. She's been locked up for 12 years. She says she had no involvement in selling drugs. And when she found out what they were up to, that she cut ties with them completely. And after being sentenced, Nancy discovered that her public defender in the case... Ross Espereth. He had never handled a big felony case, uh, a federal criminal case. He was primarily a divorce, will, and probate lawyer, so way out of his league, and Nancy had no idea going going into this case, and I don't know if she could have done anything. It's not like you can change your public defender. I mean, she probably didn't have the money to hire a lawyer, so she was stuck in this terrible position. Ends up losing, and now she's in prison. And to add insult to injury, to make things even worse, she is suffering severe health problems. She's in really bad shape in prison. She's had a kidney removed for for cancer. She's had breast cancer. She's had radiation for cancer. And she's had over 12 surgeries on her back, neck, and knees. Uh, She's had, I think, a knee replacement. And she's had some issues with her thyroid. She has rheumatoid and osteo arthritis, and she's also suffered a stroke. So this woman is is not in good shape, but she's still locked up in prison. Uh, the feds are still keeping her keeping her away. This this grandma, this mother, she has two daughters and six grandchildren. So the feds are keeping this grandmother locked away. It was hopeful when Obama was still the president. Nancy applied for clemency. The Can Do Foundation helped her. People were very hope- hopeful that she would get clemency. Unfortunately, she did not. And in with the new administration, with the Trump administration, he's it's not very likely that he's going to grant anyone clemency, which is incredibly unfortunate. Um, Nancy does meet the guidelines for compassionate release. And to go over them real quickly, the guidelines for compassionate release is for elderly inmates with medical conditions age 65 or older, check, suffer from chronic or serious medical conditions related to the aging process, check, experiencing deteriorating mental or physical health that substantially diminishes their ability to function in a correctional facility, check, conventional treatment promises no substantial improvement to their mental or physical condition, check, and has served at least 50% of her sentence. That last one I'm not sure of because it was 25 years, she served 12. I'm not sure what the... uh, what the months are, how many she's served, 12, you know, 12 years and how many months. She's either right at very close to that 50 or, or not quite to it yet. So either way, a great candidate for, for clemency to, to let this woman out of prison. And it really is 
Obviously, this is someone that never should have spent any time in prison. This just shows how freaking backwards our system is that a grandmother, 65-year-old grandmother, who committed a nonviolent crime, in air quotes, there was no crime, there's no victim, um, she, not even, she wasn't even involved in the, in the nonviolent crime that occurred of, uh, of distributing the meth. It's really just a shame. To, to see a story like this, it's just a, a bad situation to be in. And I wish there was more that I could do. The most that I can do is talk about Nancy's situation on this show. Hopefully bring some attention to it and encourage you to sign the petition. The petition for Nancy's release. And you can find that petition. I'm going to have it on the show notes page. It is a, a petition at change.org to grant Nancy her release, to let this grandmother go free. So please visit the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com slash FF84. And let's let's put some pressure on this Trump administration because, you know, something's got to give here. All right, let's move on to talk about our next story, our next shareable story. I guess I should have said that at the outset. These first couple stories are stories that I think you should you should want to share with everybody really in your life, with your your friends, your family, your your Facebook friends, your frenemies, your your enemies, liberals, conservatives, libertarians, everyone. Anyone that is a a remotely rational, reasonable person who is Stable mentally, which maybe that doesn't, maybe that takes the left off the table. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding, lefties. I'm just kidding. But my point is, people should be able to relate to these stories. These are stories that hit home, they strike you in the heart. The story of a 65 year old woman who's spent 12 years in prison for just apparently knowing of, in air quotes, of knowing of criminal activity. And she's dying in prison. She's dying of cancer in prison. So let's move on to the next story. The next shareable story that I think everybody should be able to relate to how insane it is, is Arizona. A study uncovered that Arizona is spending $600,000 a day to house drug offenders in prison. Arizona has the fifth highest incarceration rate in the nation. And this study was done by the American Friends Service Committee. This is a, a Quaker organization. Apparently, I guess the Quakers are are funding studies on uh, ending the war on drugs. So good. I'm happy. I'm happy to hear the Quakers are doing that. That is awesome. And they th- this organization found critical problems through its study. The title of the study was Drug Sentencing in Arizona, a Prescription for Failure. And the study determined that incarceration as a response to drug addiction is a failed strategy that... Researchers have based this on faulty logic and assumptions. Gee, you think? Um, you know, this, this makes me think of what I talked about last week on Felony Friday in Westmoreland County in Pennsylvania, a county in the surrounding areas outside of Pittsburgh. 70% of the people locked up are addicted to opioids or heroin or, or, or some, some sort of hard drug. It's freaking obvious that uh, incarcerating people addicted to drugs is a failed strategy. It couldn't be any more obvious that the war on drugs has failed. It's, I mean, it's laughable. It's laughable that anybody would support a uh, Jeff Sessions, a guy that's renewing, that's that's uh, energizing the war on drugs. It's it's ridiculous, and it's got to stop. I mean, this cannot continue. But to get back to this study, so researchers gathered data from court cases of people who were sentenced to prison for drug crimes in three counties in Arizona between January 1 
and December 31, 2015, so the study is a couple years old, found that 21% of the prisoners having drug crimes as their highest charge, so one out of five, and the state is spending almost $600,000 per day to house these uh, who have the drug offenses at an average of 24000 per person per year. So, and on top of this, Arizona has a 49% recidivism rate, and this proves that it's not working. I mean, they're giving these harsh sentences out for people who've committed these nonviolent drug offenses, and they're coming right back. You know, a coin flip comes right back. Coin flip comes right back. Coin flip, you get one back. It's, it's, it's amazing. This just proves, I mean, the drug war, of course, is a failure, but it's a failure by the measure of you know, reducing the amount of people using drugs because it's making more people use drugs. But some people would call it a success. You know, a lot of police officers have made a living off of enforcing the war on drugs. And a lot of a lot of judges, a lot of prison guards, a lot of people in this prison industrial complex, of course, they've made a great living off of the war on drugs. So to them, the war on drugs has been a wild success. I talk about it all the time on this show. Do you just look at the destruction of the lives. You look at these stats, you know, 50% recidivism rate in Arizona. 75% of the inmates in Arizona were assessed by the Department of Corrections as having significant substance abuse histories. And only less than 2%, 1.7% of those prisoners were receiving treatment for substance abuse. People that have it have drug problems the addiction has been criminalized. They're locked in a cage and they're not even offered any rehabilitation. They're not offered any treatment for their drug addiction. So just really just a slap in the face to common sense people, to people that actually want to solve this problem. Uh, the people in charge, the leaders in charge in state government, federal government, they just don't give a crap because if they did The war on drugs would be no more. So guys, I want to move on now and talk about some criminal justice topics trending in the news. First topic just freaking fires me up, man. If you didn't think I was fired up already talking about these other topics, this just really, really gets me going. So this story comes to us from Mississippi, uh, the South Haven Police Department. They went to Ishmael Lopez's house in... We're banging on the door, woke him up in the middle of the night, actually just before midnight. And Ismael Lopez, now there's some contradicting information of what happened here. Police are claiming that he came to the door armed. He came into the door with a gun. And moments later, he was dead. Police shot him. And the South Haven Police Department is saying that Lopez refused to put down his firearm, refused to put down the gun that he was holding when he answered the door. The problem here is police were serving an arrest warrant for an assault that happened earlier that day, but it was not for Ismael Lopez. The police found out later they were at the wrong house. It took more than a day after Lopez was dead for the police to even realize their mistake. In the initial police report, it was written very sloppily and it It even listed Lopez, who's Hispanic, as being Caucasian and labeled him as being the offender. They thought they were still at the right house after they shot him. They still didn't know that they got the wrong guy. I say got the wrong guy. Even if, you know, Lopez has assaulted someone, the police should not be showing up up people's houses, killing people. Mary Wells, this is the, the family's attorney, had this to say, disputing 
the police officer's story that uh, the police officer claiming that he came to the door with a gun and he opened it just a crack and they could see the gun through the door and he refused to put the, the firearm down. And this attorney says that you can track and trace the bullets. Three bullets went into the door and the door was shut when those bullets went into the door. My investigative team has concluded it was a direct line. There were three bullets. There is no way the door was cracked open and somebody was there. Now, Family members of Ishmael Lopez have denied that he was holding a weapon. And the attorneys obviously say here, the evidence shows police fired through a closed door and the cause of death on the death certificate, a shot to the head, nine millimeter bullet. And Ishmael Lopez is no longer with us. And this story gets even worse if that's possible because it's been two weeks since Lopez was shot. And the names of the South Haven Police Department officers has still not been released. These people, somebody shot, think about this. Somebody shot and killed somebody. Police officer killed someone. And they could still be walking around. They could still be knocking on your door. You could pass them on the street. And this person just shot someone in the head two weeks earlier. How incredibly insane is that? And on top of that... I mean, you can't even, since they haven't released the names, we don't even know if there's a, you know, if there's a pattern with the officer who did this. Maybe this officer has done this before. And for all we know, he has not been disciplined. It's, it's just completely incredible. And a local news channel actually contacted the police department and they asked if the officer who fired the shots was still patrolling the streets. And the department responded by saying, we don't discuss personnel issues. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? They don't discuss personnel issues. Well, can you imagine if if the roles were reversed here, if the tables were turned and someone had shot a police officer? They would go to the ends of the earth to determine who it was and to apprehend the person who had shot that police officer. Their name would be plastered across the news media. Everybody would know. They would even shoot when they were tracking the person. They would shoot innocent bystanders as they did in, in California a couple years ago. They they shot up a uh, when they were searching for uh, Dorner. I, I forget his first name, who had targeted some police officers, killed some police officers. They shot two women in a pickup truck, and luckily, neither two women were killed. They were searching for a black man, and they shot at two Asian women, and the pickup truck wasn't even the same color as the pickup truck they were looking for. So this, I mean, this story just brings up, it just bubbles up to the surface, all these, uh, all the terrible crimes that police officers have committed over the past several years. And to be honest, I mean, good cops, people out there who are doing things the right way, and there are there are cops out there like that. You know, they should be furious over this. They should be furious that this cop seemingly is not being held accountable. Now, there's still time that the full story could come out. He could be charged. He could be convicted. Likely not, though. That's not likely to happen. Looking at history of how the criminal justice system treats police officers in circumstances like this, it's not likely to occur. In fact, according to a Washington Post report from 2016... Around 20% of officers involved in fatal shootings never have their name disclosed. How incredible is that? I mean, this this stuff just, it has to change. For us to really heal the relationship between the police and local communities, there has to be transparency. There has to be trust in incidents like this simply break down the trust. They make it impossible 
to trust because information is being withheld and police officers are being put up on a pedestal above the rest of us uh, peons here in society. So this story is infuriating. I'm I'm sorry if I if I got a little bit fired up there, but we're going to take a real quick commercial break here to hear from today's sponsor. Three, two, one. Hey folks, I'm Remso W. Martinez, the host of the one, the only Remso Republic podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know exactly what you're thinking, to be exact. This is a pitch for another show. I already listened to too many. But hey, I've got news for you. Each and every Wednesday, you can escape the mindless entertainment and loud political pundits by escaping to the place which truly is the clash of punk rock and politics, the Remso Republic. From comedians to politicians to real-life superheroes and liberty activists, we don't stick to normal often as we hard charge each and every week to bring you the freshest entertainment and news in an ocean of shows fighting for your attention. We're on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many more platforms. Don't miss out, join the fun, and be awesome. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com. Okay, and we're back. I want to talk about the next story, which has been trending in the news, been getting a lot of play, and frankly has been very controversial. And what this has to do with is a murder that happened back in 2016, June of 2016. A uh, singer by the name of Christina Grimmy was shot and killed by 27-year-old Kevin James Loibel. I'm not sure if I'm saying his name right, nor do I care. Grimmy was signing autographs after his show is a performance with the Before You Exit at the Plaza Live in Orlando. And this man just walked up to her and and shot her. And he was tackled by Grimmy's brother. The gunman broke free and then shot himself dead right there. This was planned out. He brought two handguns with him, extra magazines, a hunting knife. This man came there on a mission. And this venue was a advertised gun-free zone. This man obviously knew that he was going to be able to walk in there and nobody was going to do anything to stop him because nobody there was armed. And this man had this weird infatuation with the singer, Christina Grimmie, and had actually, you know, lost weight and gotten a bunch of surgery and stuff to to try to become more attractive for her. I don't even know if they if they knew each other. It was just a, just a crazed fan, just a lunatic. What's happening here, there's a lawsuit. The family of this singer is suing the venue, and they are claiming negligent security on part of the venue. And the premise of the lawsuit is if the property owners, since they banned law-abiding citizens from carrying guns, then the property owners should be responsible if a tragedy like this occurs. And the lawsuit states the owners of the facility in which she performed and the outside security company hired to provide security for the concert failed to take adequate security measures to ensure the safety of the performers and the attendees at the concert venue. And, you know, it's it's really hard to argue with the logic behind this lawsuit. And it's a little bit surprising. At least this is the first time I've heard of a lawsuit like this being filed. I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I'm right. I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, please uh, reach out to me and send me a, a link to another lawsuit that's been filed. You can send it to felonyfriday at lionsofliberty.com. But this is the first I've heard of it. So if that's the case, hopefully this, you know, obviously you don't want tragedies like this to occur at all. But 
I 100% agree that the, the venue's at fault here. I mean, you have to look at it from, from this scenario. When you're going to have, this venue makes money by bringing people, bringing people into their venues, selling them tickets, selling them concessions and whatnot. You know, there's a certain amount of trust. There's a certain amount of, you know, everyone, whenever you leave your house, whenever you go out, you are taking a, a certain risk. Um, and throughout your day, you're going to do different things to to mitigate the risk of either getting hurt or getting harmed. You know, you drive a car, you put your seatbelt on, um, we're crossing the street, you look both ways. And I think people have become numb to when they go out in some of these public settings, when they go to baseball games or you go to concerts. And uh, there are a lot of these venues do have metal detectors or or pat-downs, but I mean, they really aren't true pat-downs. Somebody could definitely sneak a weapon by from the places I've seen. And the metal detectors, God even knows if they've been tested and if they even work. So there is sort of this blind trust that the people in this venue are are taking care of you. Uh, so a lot of people never think that, well, obviously, you're, it's a, these are gun-free zones. So if you were to try to bring a gun in, um, you would be, you'll be in trouble. You, you would be uh, prosecuted probably. You would have some charges brought against you. So it's good that someone is challenging this system. Because there's obviously errors in this system, and people get away with making it a gun-free zone and claiming that that is the mitigation that's going to keep you safe. When in fact, that mitigation strategy puts you more so at risk because it encourages lunatics who are looking for situations where they can come in without resistance, commit a crime, shoot someone, shoot many people. And they don't have to worry about somebody killing them in the process. Although afterwards, most of these people end up shooting themselves. They're just pure mentally unstable psychopaths. It's good that somebody is finally challenging this system. And I hope that people go back in all these cases where there's been gun-free zones and people have been shot by these these crazy gunmen. People should go back and sue these venues, sue the movie theaters, the concert venues where these things have occurred in the past. All right, guys, and lastly, here today on Felony Friday, we are going to play Is It a Crime and Should They Do Time? Is it a crime? Should they do time? Or do you think they learned their lesson from a hefty fine? Okay, just to prepare you, if you're listening to this with your with your kids or in a family environment, you might want to turn this off and, and listen to it uh, when it's only adults around. I'm not going to swear or anything, but this is a it's, it's a weird weird subject, and yeah, just want to give you that warning. So this story comes to us from New Jersey, of course, in New Jersey, where most of the weird things happen in the United States. And the story is so strange. So a a man was allegedly caught masturbating during a recent afternoon screening of the Emoji movie. And for those of you that don't know, I mean, you know what an emoji is. Everyone's used emojis on their phone. If you don't follow the kids' movies out there today, the, the PG movies, the Emoji movie is a movie about emojis. And it follows around this emoji named Gene, and he's a multi expressional emoji. I guess that means he has multiple emojis he can transform into. And he longs to become a meh emoji. 
like his parents. And the movie was released a couple weeks ago. Stars the voices of T.J. Miller, James Corden, Anna Faris, and Maya Rudolph, and some others. But anyway, this guy's in the Emoji movie. This guy, Abraham Parnez of Brooklyn and of Lakewood, New Jersey. So two different cities get embarrassed by claiming this guy lives there. So you have, they got that going for them. And what happened here, this guy's in the movie theater, and he's got his hand, hands down his pants, his, his pants unzipped, and people around there, parents around there with, with kids, uh, a mother notices it, brings it to the attention of the movie theater, and they escort him out. And they contact police. They don't tell him to wait. They just escort him out and contact police. And there was you know a time period that went by when officials asked the public to help identify the guy. They identified him, and he turned himself in. So, of course, the question with this, as it was brought up in our Lions of Liberty Forum, which you can join the Lions of Liberty Forum by going on Facebook, typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top. And as long as you're not a crazy person or the guy in this story, we will let you in, most likely. People in the forum and people other places, I, I think, I'm not sure where I saw this, but somebody said that... You know, this did not violate the NAP. It did not violate the non-aggression principle. There was, this guy didn't aggress against anybody. And I got to I gotta disagree with that. I got to disagree with that in principle because he did. Uh, doing something like this is aggressing against people. Even if this person had invited people over to his house and he's on his own property and he's sitting around the living room. There have you know people are having a nice discussion, maybe watching a sporting event. And this guy sticks his hands down his pants and starts masturbating. That right there, even at his own house on his own property, is a violation of the nap, because there is no consent. There's no consent between the parties. There's no consent between the people in the movie theater for for them to go there, for these kids to go there. He's doing this, a, you know, with, with kids rows away. People did not consent to go to the Emoji movie and have some fat 43-year-old man start to masturbate in the row behind him. No, that's aggression. That's aggression against those people. It would be the same thing as if somebody had come into the theater with an air horn and just started blasting it off in your ear, blowing out your eardrum. That also would be a violation of the non-aggression principle. That is aggression against you. Sure, nobody punched you or hit you or kicked you, they aggressed against your eardrum, and there would be damages for that. You would ask to pay for the, uh, you know, if you need surgery, you need medication or whatever to, to heal your eardrum. The same thing in this case. This guy should pay for any uh, emotional or, I don't know, people should definitely get a, a refund for the movie, and they should probably get some, uh, some sort of uh, restitution for the emotional damage this guy has caused to these children. I mean, this is, this is terrible. I can't even understand how anybody would think that this did not violate the non-aggression principle. And I'm not trying to offend, and I really don't remember who it was that said that. It might not even been in the forum. I saw this story a couple different places. But, <clears throat> you know, I, I, can't, I can't even wrap my mind around how, how this wouldn't violate the NAP. So it's obviously a crime. When you talk about should this guy do time, you know, I'm not sure how much time he should do. Uh, I really don't. I really don't think it's it's something that he should go to prison for. Um, I think really, and our of course our justice system is not set up this way because it's not a, a reasonable or rational justice system. 
But, you know, this guy should pay restitution to the people that he harmed directly. If he shouldn't be allowed... <laughs> obviously, if I was in the movie theater, I would ban him from the movie theater. And, uh, you know, I might tell the movie theaters around the area that they should ban this guy too. And keep this guy out of movie theaters and embarrass him. Put his picture up everywhere. I mean, he's already been thoroughly embarrassed. You know, I'm talking about him on this show. And if I'm talking about him on this show, that means I saw it in a pretty, yeah, maybe not a major news source, but I saw it in at least a, a local paper. So he's he's already been thoroughly embarrassed. I don't think there's any need to send him to prison. So with that, guys, that's all I have today for Felony Friday. I do want to have a couple notes on the way out uh, before I let you go. I want to encourage you to join the Lions of Liberty Pride. If you enjoy what we do here three days per week on the Lions of Liberty podcast, every Monday we have our flagship show with Mark Clare. Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land, your shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with Brian McWilliams. And every Friday, this show right here, Felony Friday. If that is not enough for you, if you want more Felony Friday, if you want access to our conspiracy theory roundtables, there was one recorded just last week with uh, Mark and Brian Howie and Rico, if you want access to that, they talked about Bill Hicks and Alex Jones. Are they the same person? That whole deal was a great episode. There was a great rant that Mark Clare uh, recorded a couple weeks ago on the Mises University Jeff Deist blood and soil speech, his opinions on that. You can check that out in the Lions of Liberty Pride. And the way that you can join the Pride is by going to lionsofliberty.com slash support. And you can join at our elite level for $25. And at that level, for $25 per month, you're going to get a monthly conference call with us where you can talk to us, you can influence the show, you can bring ideas to us, you can just shoot the shit, whatever you want to do. You're going to get access to our Lions of Liberty store and get all the items sold there at cost, 30% off the same price that we pay. You're going to get two free shirts from the Lions of Liberty store. You're going to get a free koozie. And of course, you're going to get access to all the exclusive content in the Lions of Liberty Pride. At $10, you're going to get all that same stuff, except instead of two free shirts, one free shirt. And you're not going to get the conference call, but you're going to get, get everything else. And if you can't afford the $10, just for only, for only $5 a month, the price of a coffee in many places... I mean, I think in L.A. it's probably you know ten dollars for maybe a coffee. I know it when I was in uh, when I lived down in California. I went to uh, one L.A. bar. I forget which which one it was, but I ordered a uh, double Jim Beam and Coke, and that was sixteen dollars. And that was back in two thousand seven, so it's probably twenty five dollars by now. So just for five dollars per month, you'll get access to all of our stuff, all of our exclusive content in the Lions of Liberty Pride. And, uh, and also, all these levels get access to our secret Facebook group. So be sure to check that out. And you also get, for $5, you get a discount, 20% off at the Lions of Liberty store, which Lions of Liberty store can be found by visiting lionsofliberty.store. And I have a special announcement about the Lions of Liberty store. There is a Felony Friday t-shirt that you can now buy it at the store it's a really cool logo. Uh, my man Dan Smots put it together for us. He's done a lot of our design work. He put together Brian's Electric Liberty Land design as well. All, all of our other, really all of our designs at the Lions of Liberty store came from Dan Smots. 
Dan, of course, the host of the System is Down podcast. So check that out. And he's a he's a great designer. So thank you to Dan. And you know, it, it's a great design. It's a it's a circle design. It says around the uh, the outside of it, Lines of Liberty Felony Friday. Then on the inside, it says No Victim, No Crime. On the top, no victim, no time. On the bottom and in the middle, it has a hand reaching out and grabbing the arm of a cop who is about to swing a billy club. It is a fantastic design, and I can't wait for you guys to buy them and send me pictures of you wearing them, wear them out in public. You're going to get amazing comments. You're going to get the best comments, the best comments from wearing this shirt. Great way to start a conversation. Great way to talk about the epidemic of nonviolent offenders being imprisoned in this country. Thank you in advance for buying that shirt. And if you voted in the poll in the Alliance of Liberty Forum to pick the wording, no victim, no crime, no victim, no time, I expect you to buy that shirt because you voted. So go vote with your wallet and buy that shirt and get 20% off by joining the Pride First for $5 per month. All right, one more thing, guys. I want you to go to... Donor C, Donor C, founded by Greg Glyer, former guest on Mark Claire's show, founder of Donor C, uh, Clint Rankin, founder of the Facebook group Walk the Walk, which has brought a lot of libertarian podcasts, libertarian fans together under the Walk the Walk banner to fund a bunch of projects through Donor C. And we've helped a woman uh, get her HIV medication and some job training. We've built a well, we've built a road, and now in Haiti, we're building a house. And last time I checked at recording, I think we're just, it's like $495 to be in fully funded. They're building a house out of plastic bottles. So it's almost entirely out of plastic bottles. There's obviously there's going to be some, some concrete and things like that, bags of concrete needed for foundations and whatnot. So all of the funds will go to, to that stuff, the foundation work, everything else, everything that they can build out of plastic bottles they already have all the plastic bottles to build it. It's a way to obviously recycle these bottles and use them and not let them go to waste. For all those statists out there that say libertarians would let the environment go to crap, screw you. We're building a house. It's how we fix the environment, baby. That's all I got, guys. If you enjoyed this show, please give us a five-star rating on iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty Burn.